Turn your Bible to John 15. Before I get started, I do want to say thank you so much to the church for your love and prayers and encouragement um, and the loss of my grandfathers this week. Um, Pretty wild to lose both grandfathers in a seven-day period, but uh, we knew they were both in the early 90s and and been sick and things like that, Um, So, uh, but I do thank you for the encouragement and the comfort and the love in the past week. Um, but I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to preach to you. I missed, missed you last week. And um, uh, reminded, although it's not necessarily the theme of this text, I'm reminded that um, we all need Jesus. And I don't know how people go through life without the hope that we have in Christ. I don't know how people do, especially not just life, but when you get to the end of life, when you get to death. Uh, do you have Christ or not? And even thinking about the song we just sang, um, even as we were singing, I was thinking to myself, if I lost everything uh, and everything was taken away from me, could I still say, all I have is Christ? And if you were to lose everything and yet still have Christ, then I would argue you still have everything because he is everything we need. And I hope that Christ means that much to you now, and maybe even a little more to you as we go through this sermon today. If you're in John 15, find verse 18. If you're there, say word. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Our Father, give us clarity as we study your word. Let us see the truth, and I pray that the truth would sink deeply into our hearts. 
causing us to rearrange our thoughts, causing us to rearrange even our lives. And more than anything, I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified in our hearts and in this church. In His name we pray. Amen. Jesus here is speaking to His disciples. We've been in this section of Scripture for a, a while now, but it's only hours before He's going to be betrayed by Judas and less than a day before He is going to be crucified. And so we still see and feel the urgency of His words to His disciples. And He gives them here uh, these, these thoughts about the fact that they will be hated by the world. And so in that sense, He gives them a warning but then he also gives them a, a comfort at the end. Before we dive into the warning, I was thinking about persecution. And it's what he talks about here. How, hey guys, one day I'm going to leave you and you're going to be persecuted, Jesus says. And trying to put that in our own context, I think is kind of difficult. Because we, most of us in this room, have probably rarely faced much persecution. Especially compared to what the disciples face and what some of our fellow Christians around the world even face today. But I'll give you one example. Probably 18 years ago, I did a youth retreat down in Gulfport, Mississippi, on the coast there. And we taught the youth all weekend about the importance of knowing Jesus and how to share Jesus with other people. And so the last thing we did that Saturday afternoon was to take a trip out into the city, and we were going to go out and, and witness to people. And so I had a young man with me. His name was Tyler. Uh, he was kind of one of my most faithful teenagers. He was excited um, to go out and share Jesus with people. He, he was just excited to do it. He was excited to be by my side to go do it. And so we pull up to this big mall area, and our goal was just to get out. and had, had, We had little gospel tracts and, and just to go talk to people about Christ. And um, so Tyler and I get out of the, the vehicle we're in, and we just see a man walking toward the door, and so he looked like a reasonable man, looked like a pretty well-dressed guy, a normal-looking guy. And so, in order not to hesitate, I'm like, hey, let's just talk to him. He's the first guy we saw, right? And so we walk up to him, and, and I just said something along the lines of, excuse me, sir, uh, may we talk to you for a few minutes about Jesus Christ? And he turned around, and he said, <laughs> he said, you can talk to me about a beep. I can't repeat the rest of what he said. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, put my hand over Tyler's ears. He just cussed at us, you know, for no, I mean, I guess we walked up on him. I don't know. And I was like, wow. And uh, for the rest of the day, it was pretty tough. <laughs> Tyler was like terrified to witness <laughs> anybody. But we kept going, and, we, and we, had a, we had better conversations than that. But I thought to myself, man, I just got cussed at on my first opportunity to witness here. Um, but to be honest with you, Throughout my life, I can't think of situations where I've been heavily persecuted like we see around the world. I just haven't. And most of you probably haven't either. Maybe we've lost friends over our faith. That's probably maybe happened to some of us. Can I be honest? And y'all have heard my stories. I've been more persecuted in the church by Christians than I have been outside the church. But we know around this world, Jason mentioned one in prayer meeting this morning about the pastor in Nigeria who was killed and even today, as we sit here and freely worship, there are Christians in, in Nigeria being held hostage for their faith. That's kind of crazy, right? I remember the story in 2017 when these terrorists attacked a church in Egypt, 
And I don't know if you remember that, it was a pretty big news story. But the terrorists attacked this church, um, and a pastor uh, survived after it was over with, just hours after it was over with, after his church was bombed, the pastor preached a sermon entitled, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. And he had three points for the terrorists. Thank you, we love you, and we're praying for you. I was like, wow, and he preached that sermon to the terrorists, or, you know, to them if, if they were listening. I'm sure they weren't, but my point is that we probably know very little of persecution, right? And so as we read this, we have to kind of take that into account, but understand that these disciples that Jesus is talking to, and can we say this? We don't know what the future holds for us. We might experience. I think in America there will be heavier persecution down the road at some point. We might experience it. So this is certainly a word for us today. And it's also, I think, appropriate to see that in the last sermon we had, look in verse 17, Jesus said, These things I command you, that you love one another. It's a contrast between the disciples, Christians, the church must be about loving one another, and then Jesus says the world is the opposite. So notice the contrast of the world and of Christians. So I want you to see here, the first thing is a warning from Christ, the world will hate you. Verse 18, he gives it a condition here. He says, if the world hates you, but then if you look at verse 19, he says, therefore, the world will hate you. And so this really is not a matter of if, Jesus says, but they do and they will hate you. He's giving them this clear, stark warning of what's going to happen. So three reasons, at least, I see here why the world will hate the disciples. The first one is, Jesus says, they will hate you because they hate your master. Now, some of us are doing a Bible reading plan right now, and we're reading the book of Matthew. And it's interesting to think about, what did Jesus do in his life that made people hate him so much? I mean, was Jesus kind to people? Was he loving? Did he heal sick people's relatives? I mean, I mean, even at the wedding party, they run a wine, and he provides the wine. I mean, Jesus is, is doing all kind of good things for people. He is helping people, serving people, loving people, speaking truth. Did Jesus speak truth? Everything he ever said was truth, right? But yet, it was some of that truth speaking that people didn't like. Why would they hate someone doing so much good? Well, in verse 18, Jesus again says, You can know that if the world hates you, it hated me first. Look at verse 20. In the middle of verse 20, he says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in verse 21, he says, All these things they will do on account of my name. And I want you to see this. The word hate in this text means to have a fixed attitude. These people, it, they weren't just indifferent to Christ. And they won't just be indifferent to the disciples. It is a fixed attitude of hate on Christ, and it will be a fixed attitude of hate on his followers. Again, as we see in, in Jesus' example and in some of our own examples, unfortunately, sometimes the worst hate we experience comes from a religious crowd, right? Isn't that who helped crucify Christ? A very religious crowd, Pharisees, Sadducees, high priests, scribes, were all a part of this uh, persecution of, of Christ. 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm reminded as a way of application here to say to us, though we are religious people, though we know Christ and we serve Christ and we are part of the church, let us be careful that we don't hinder fellow believers, even as Christians, not allowing our religiousness to be a, a hindrance to others, but yet it should be a, a blessing to others. Notice verse 25 with me. I want you to see this. Jesus says, This comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. This is a reference to two different Psalms, Psalm 35 and Psalm 69. Both are David talking about how people hated him without good cause. And Jesus says here, I am the fulfillment of that scripture, and they hate me though they have no good cause. And all this is Christ saying, if you are persecuted, if they hate you, you can know first that they hated me. The second thing is, they will hate you because they hate the Father. And Jesus makes this clear in at least three different verses. In verse 21, he says, they don't know the one who sent me, which is the Father. In verse 23, he explicitly says, whoever hates me hates my Father also. We understand that, right? That the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to love Christ is to love the Father, to love God, right? To hate Christ is to hate the Father. And then in verse 24, at the end of that verse, he says, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. He also pulls out something interesting here in verse 22 and 24. He talks about the fact that since he has come and done many works and spoke truth, he says they are without excuse. They are responsible for their sin. So Jesus reassures his followers that the persecutors, the haters, the evil ones are responsible for their sin. He has come. He has made himself known. He has made the Father known, and yet they have rejected him. A third reason they will hate you, Jesus says, is because you are not one of them. Verse 19. If you were of this world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, we all know, you know, we're in the world, but not of it, right? We've heard that. We're in the world, not of it. Well, how difficult is it for us as believers now to live in this world, but not be of it? It's pretty tough, right? Everything we see, everything we hear is trying to pull us into a worldly type of life, which is why we need the church so bad. It's why we need the Word so bad to come together on a regular basis to be reminded that we live for heavenly things, not just temporary earthly things. We, we need that. We're reminded of that. And Jesus says here, I've called you out of the world. Now, we, we, I have to make a point here that Jesus did not call these disciples out of the world because they were very smart are very wealthy, are very talented. Why did Jesus call these particular disciples out of the world into himself? Because of an unconditional grace. Unconditional love. There was nothing they did to deserve that calling. And church, if you are a Christian this morning, and I pray that you are, there is nothing you did to gain God's approval and salvation. He unconditionally reached down and called you to himself, drawing you to himself, overcoming your sinful, stubborn heart and giving you life. 
He says, you're not of this world. I have chosen you out of the world. But because of that, this world hates you. Have you ever, I'll give you this illustration. Um, I'm a uh, New Orleans Saints fan. And it's been a sad year for me. But I went to a game one time over in Atlanta. And uh, Atlanta Falcons and New Orleans Saints, a division rival game. So I walked in the stadium in Atlanta, and it's packed. There's Saints fans, there's Falcons fans. It's loud. It's a Monday night game. And I remember early, before the game, my friend and I, we went to the restroom. And as we went in the restroom, we see these Falcon fans and Saints fans just like, going after each other. One guy throws a garbage can, and I was like, let's try the next restroom. <laughs> let's, let's go on down and try the next one. And these people hated each other. And you could walk, I, I was wearing a Saints shirt in the visiting stadium, but you'd walk down thinking, the Falcons fans look at you like, you know, give this look, right? I'm disappointed in you, you know. They would give this look, and so there was this thing, right? The, uh, we were not of the home crowd, and so they didn't like us, right? A lot of them didn't. Some, some were cool. Jesus says here, you're not of the home crowd. You live here, but you're not in the home of the home crowd. You have an eternal home, a heavenly home. I am your Savior. Holiness is your standard. And so we should live in such a way and be set apart in such a way that He has set us apart that the world will look at us and not always be pleased with us and even possibly hate us because we're not of this world. I feel like that's the truth we're going to wrestle with our entire lives to be in the world but not of the world. And the only way we can do that, right, is by the help of God, His Word, Holy Spirit, His church. So the warning from Christ is clear to His disciples. Listen, guys, I'm going to leave you and the world's going to hate you. Let's look at the second thing, which is a comfort. Man, God always does this, or most often does this, is He might give some kind of warning or some kind of Tough truth, but there's usually always a comfort behind it. And the comfort from Christ is this. You are in good company, and you will have help. We've already discussed in the text that Jesus says, if they hated me, they're also going to hate you. And that's what I mean when I say you're in good company. The company is that of Christ. If they hate me, he says, they will hate you. Let me give you our weekly J.C. Ryle quote on this text. He said, for one thing, persecution is the cup of which Christ himself drank. Faultless as he was in everything, in temper, word, and deed, unwearied as he was in works of kindness, always going about doing good, never was anyone so hated as Jesus was until the last day of his earthly ministry. Scribes and high priests, Pharisees and Sadducees, Jews and Gentiles, united in pouring contempt on him, and opposing him, and never rested until he was put to death. Church, if we are persecuted, we are in good company. In Acts 9, verse 4, Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul, was going to persecute Christians. He's on the road to Damascus. He's persecuting Christians. Jesus shows up in this bright light, and Jesus says to him, Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting the disciples whom I love? Nope, that's not what he said. Why are you persecuting the church of Christ? Why are you persecuting the church? That's not what he said. As, as Saul went about persecuting the Christians, the disciples, the church, Jesus said this, why do you persecute me? 
Can you see this connection? When the church is persecuted, Christ is persecuted. So again, I say to you, church, to be persecuted is to be in good company. How about verse 20 of our text? Look back at verse 20. I want you to notice this phrase. I didn't skip it earlier. I just want to come back to it now. The last part of verse 20. If they kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And that's kind of an interesting phrase to think about. But what, what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, the people you preach to, disciples, they're going to listen. To, they're going to pay the same amount of attention to your words as they did to my words. And how much did they pay attention to his words? They didn't. Not these people we're talking about. So as we go and preach the gospel, if you go to a mall parking lot and, and share Jesus with someone and they cuss at you or they ignore you or you try to be a witness to your family member who brushes you off, you can know you're in good company. Jesus said, they didn't pay attention to my words and they're not going to pay attention to yours. Many times. To be persecuted is to be in good company. And Christ is our, our perfect example of that. A second thing about this comfort is not only are we in good company, but we're going to be helped by the Holy Spirit. Is it any secret that the farther we get along in the gospel, we're seeing these more and more references to the Holy Spirit? In chapter 14 we saw it. We're going to see it again in chapter 17 and 16 and even now here in 15. So let's look at what it says in verse 26. It says, When the Helper comes, the Comforter comes, who I send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. There's so much here about the Holy Spirit, and again, we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit uh, next week. But the Holy Spirit first is known as a comforter and a helper. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we know we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And He is in us to comfort us, to help us. Time and times when we are, especially in our greatest need, he is there to provide that comfort. He's there to help us. We don't always have to feel like we can do things by ourselves. I bet some of you this morning would say, I struggle to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us when we struggle to pray. Or I read the Bible, but I struggle to get anything out of it. The Holy Spirit helps us. It, he illuminates it, makes it come alive to us. I struggle to really sing praises to God. Well, the Holy Spirit can reveal the truth that we're singing. I struggle to really get something out of the sermon. Well, maybe you need to depend on the Holy Spirit in your heart to show you the truth of the text. Let us remember that, yes, God is Father, God is Son, but also God is Spirit. That's, Jesus wanted them to know, and He wants us to know that we're not alone. And the Spirit is there here for us. So he gives us a warning, he gives us a comfort, and thirdly, he gives us a challenge. This is in verse 27. He says, just as the Spirit will testify of me, and the, the Spirit certainly would point to Christ, he says, just in the same way, you shall also bear witness of me because you've been with me from the beginning. And I think, uh, I, trying to put myself in these disciples' sandals, um, I, think, I think Jesus is saying, you know, it's not just your job to go out and be hated by the world and just put up with it or just endure it. We're not, Christians are not just 
defensive or on the defense, right? Not only do you endure the persecution that you might face, but Jesus says here, go be a witness. Even if that witnessing brings about persecution, go witness of me as the Spirit does. As you are empowered by the Spirit, you can go and be someone who points people to Christ. So as I see verse 27, I'm reminded as a church and as believers, we need to be about the Father's business of sharing Christ with others. We didn't even discuss this. Jason and I did not discuss this, but his lesson in prayer meeting this morning was that we should pray for the lost. And that needs to be the first step. All right? If there's someone in your family who you think does not know Christ, the first thing you should do, and you should do it regularly, is pray for that person. All right? So may we pray for people, but also we need to share Christ with words. Tell people who Christ is. Tell people what Christ has done. The gospel, Romans says, is the power of God unto salvation. And as these disciples took the gospel in the face of persecution and preached it, many people, thousands upon thousands, came to know Christ. They turned the world upside down as they stayed faithful to preach the gospel, even though they were persecuted. Isn't that crazy that you know where the church grows the greatest? In places of persecution. If you look around the world, like, let's just take China, for example, where they do all they can. The government there does all they can, right? To just, no Bibles, no churches. And yet the church there grows and is growing. And yet we have freedom, don't we? We have blessings and so many things, and yet in America the church is, is not growing. There's something about it. I, I, I hate to say it, but whenever we do experience more persecution one day, I think the church is going to be purified and grow. These disciples certainly took this warning and this comfort and this challenge, and they ran with it. I read this quote this week. It said, Outward profession of faith or is a cheap religion and costs a man nothing, but real, vital Christianity will always bring with it a cross. Do you have the type of Christianity that Jesus showed us, that the disciples show us? Do we have the type of Christianity that costs us something, that brings about it not just a crown, but a, a cross to bear? I'll give you three scriptures as we conclude this morning. The first one is 1 Peter 4. 14 through 16. All these three are related to persecution. Simon Peter wrote, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. In that name. The man who penned these words in 1 Peter chapter 4, the man who penned those words according to the best tradition that we know was taken and he was to be crucified. And according to the early church writers, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And so they turned him upside down 
and crucified Simon Peter. The next one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where Saul of Tarsus, who once persecuted Christians and met Jesus on that road to Damascus and became a believer, became a missionary, became an apostle, he said, all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. And that very same man, probably not long after writing these words, according to the earliest writings we have, was taken and beheaded for his faith. One more verse. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And the one who said this, as we know, was taken and put on a cross to die a criminal's death for our sins. Three examples of that we should heed. Jesus, the faultless, sinless Son of God, crucified. That's the reason that if we do face persecution, we will face it and endure it. If you don't know Christ today, I would encourage you and challenge you, turn to Christ. Look to Christ. He is our everything. He's not only for us in this life, but He gives us eternal life and the life to come. And Christians, if and when the day comes we are persecuted, let's remember we are in good company. Let's pray.